memorized and it's something that uh, growing up we read every uh, time Christmas went around together as a family. So Luke chapter 2 is a very familiar passage. should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This morning I want to draw out five aspects that Christmas should bring into our lives. These shepherds were confronted with the reality of the birth of the Christ child. And there's five things here that if we focus on what Christmas really is, what it really means, the fact that Jesus Christ has come, five changes that it should bring into our lives. And the first is right here in what the angel says. The first thing is the mindset that it brings. He says... Fear not. Fear not. The mindset, fear not. The absence of fear is commanded by the angel. It's a command. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. The shepherds had a pretty good reason to be afraid. This was not, you know, one of those uh, storybook-looking angels. This was a man of war, Right? As captain, as the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, as captain of the Lord's host, am I come. These angels that appeared to the shepherds were soldiers of God's army. They, they, they were not uh, just soft-looking beings. This was God's heavenly army. And the angel says, fear not. And it's a command. He commands these shepherds not to be afraid. You know, if we would focus on what God has accomplished for us when he sent his son into the world we would realize we literally have nothing to be afraid of. If you know the Savior Jesus Christ, if you've accepted the free gift of salvation, 
If you've been redeemed through His blood, then your life, the Bible says, is hid in Him. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 says, If, or since, ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are commanded as Christians to realize that because we are in Christ, we are dead to the world and everything in it. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Fear is incompatible with faith. Fear and faith are incompatible. Think about the disciples in the storm. They had the God of all the universe in the boat with them, and yet they feared for their lives. And what was Jesus' response to them? He said in Matthew 8, 26, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The creator of all the universe was in the boat, and yet they were afraid. Why? Because they didn't have faith. The Israelites were led to the edge of the promised land by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the very embodiment of the protection of God. And yet, think about all that He did for them. He parted the Red Sea and they crossed over it on dry ground. He destroyed the entire Egyptian army without even a battle. He made water flow from the rock. He made bread fall from the sky. Uh, in all this that He did for them, and yet, when they heard the report that there were walled cities and giants that inhabited the land, they, they were afraid, and that fear destroyed their faith. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until every doubter was dead. Think about Peter. I love Peter, because he's just as human as anybody. Peter was literally walking on the water in the midst of a storm stepping on the, on the sea as if it were land, walking toward Jesus. It took faith to step out of the boat in the first place. But then it says in Matthew 14, verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Fear is incompatible with faith. And faith is incompatible with fear. And if you know the true meaning of Christmas, then the fear can be completely banished from your mindset. You literally have nothing to be afraid of. In Jesus, we have this new mindset because the meaning of Christmas changes us from within. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you know Christ, the absence of fear is commanded. It changes your mindset. But the absence of fear is countercultural. It is countercultural. We live in a society gripped by fear. Before 2020, people that were too afraid to leave the safety of their own homes would have been diagnosed with agoraphobia and be recommended treatment. And yet, there are still many that are afraid even to go outside, but it's called the new normal. People are gripped with fear. The news media, you don't watch it, right? The news media fosters fear. You can't even check the weather 
without fostering fear. The politicians feed on the power that fear provides them. Look at the the political debates. I don't watch those either, but how do they talk about each other? Well, if this one gets in office, here's what you should be afraid of. Right? They feed off of fear. Fear led one in three church-going Americans to quit church altogether three years ago. One in three. Fear has become a core tenet of our culture. Many live daily in fear, completely and utterly gripped in its power, and they're motivated and driven and slaves to fear. But as Christians, the absence of fear is commanded, even though it's countercultural. but the absence of fear comes by conviction. Because faith is the antidote to fear. You might be looking at the world around us and think, boy, I don't think things have ever been this bad. That's just not the case. Maybe we haven't seen it this bad, but Christians have. In the 1800s, the world was ravaged by cholera. It's a disease caused by bacteria in contaminated water, and in those days, water was rather unsanitary, and life was unsanitary in general. So in the 43 years between 1817 and 1860, there were three cholera pandemics, and the deaths exceeded 15 million people worldwide, and another 23 million died over, because of cholera over the next 50 years. There was a young Baptist preacher, you might know him, by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who lived during that time, and this is what he says. He says, who is the man that does not fear to die? I will tell you. That man is a believer. Fear to die? Thank God I do not. The cholera may come again next summer. I pray God it may not. But if it does, it matters not to me. I will toil and visit the sick by night and by day until I drop. And if it takes me, sudden death is sudden glory. Eight months later, he preached these words. He says, Hast thou known what it is to dwell securely in God, to enter into the Most High, and to laugh, to scorn the anger, the frowns, the sneers, the contempt, the slander of men, to ascend into the sacred place of the pavilion of the Most High, and to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and feel thyself secure? And mark thee, thou mayest do this, in times of pestilence. It is possible to walk in the midst of cholera and death singing, Plagues and death around me fly, till he please, I cannot die. It is possible to stand exposed to the utmost degree of danger and yet to feel such a holy serenity that we can laugh at fear. Too great, too mighty, too powerful through God to stoop for one moment to the cowardice of trembling. Absence of fear comes by conviction. Conviction, faith, that what the Bible says is true. Psalm 91 says in verses 9 through 12, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. When the diseases aren't, aren't ravaging, the wars are raging. Right? 
Imagine the life of those born in the 1900s, just old enough to fight in World War I, lived through the Spanish flu, raised their children during World War II, and maybe had to send them to Korea or Vietnam. This comfort that we've enjoyed hasn't been around as long as we think. And there are Christians today all around the world meeting in secret, mattresses against the walls of the house so that the songs don't go through the wall, careful not to come together as a group but one at a time, hiding their Bibles in their bags so as not to draw suspicions. Maybe just a week or two ago, their friends or their family members were caught going to church and they were taken away, never to be heard from again, and yet they're sitting in church and worshiping together. What minor inconveniences do we allow to drive us our way from the mandate to get together as believers? Christians around the globe long to enjoy what we have. But they, they aren't allowed to have normal church. The absence of fear comes by conviction. The Bible declares that for those of us that are born again, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is what? Then what do we have to fear? The absence of fear is by conviction. Do you believe what the Bible says? That in spite of everything that might be going on in your life or in the world around you, you can have the absence of fear in any circumstance. In any circumstance. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Think about what Christmas means. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if you have received the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And your heavenly Father is watching over you. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that ye might in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You're going to face problems and troubles but I'm bigger than those things. Moreover, through faith, we believe that the Bible is true when the, when the Bible teaches us as believers that God can take any and all circumstances and work them together for our good and according to His purpose and His plans for our life. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And if you skip ahead... The response to that truth is this in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The response to that truth is a total absence of fear. Complete confidence in the Lord who has a purpose and a plan. The creator God of all the universe is interested in working things out for your good. And fear melts in the face of that fact. Isaiah 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. 
the economy could be on the brink of collapse. Could be. World War, World War III might start tomorrow. And the comfort and convenience that we've taken for granted could well be almost finished. But the child of God has nothing to fear. Psalm 37.25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Maybe this Christmas you need to allow the reason for the season to change your mindset. Fear not. Because as a Christian, if the Most High is your secret place, you have literally nothing to be afraid of. And notice, secondly, not only the mindset of Christmas, but the message of Christmas. The angel says, fear not, for I bring you good tidings. Good tidings. This is a divine message. It's a divine message. The message of Christmas is not just some tradition or legend or inspiring story passed down from generation to generation. It is the very Word of God. Brought from God. And it's the same principle that Paul preaches in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says in verse 5 and 6, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This message that we have that Christ was born over 2,000 years ago and came into this earth to die for our sins is a divine message. 2 Peter 1 says in verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of, God, uh, will of man, rather, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This angel delivered... By God's command, good tidings, good news, the gospel, that God sent His Son into the world to be the Savior of all men. I hope that every single person in this room this morning has understood what Christmas really means underneath it all. Christmas really means that what the Bible says is that God loves you. He knows you, every aspect about you, everything you've ever done, thought or said, and He loves you. And 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. God demonstrated His love for you when He sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place. God commendeth His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that doesn't make sense unless you first realize that every single human being is born a sinner. No one is righteous. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And according to the Bible, the penalty for sin is death. And if you die in your sins, you go to a terrible, real place called hell. The wages of sin is death, is what the Bible says. Our sin earns us that penalty. And we can't become righteous on our own because everything we do is tainted by that sin. Isaiah said, we are all as an unclean thing and all of our, righteousness, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
Nothing you can do could ever be good enough for a God that is perfect. And God knows all that. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything about you. And He hates sin. He must punish sin. But instead of punishing you, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be punished in your place. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Jesus Christ didn't stay a baby. He lived a perfect life. He never once sinned because He's God's Son. There's no sin in Him. Yet He went to the cross and died, not for His own sins. Even even the Gentiles, even the, the worldly officials said, I can't find anything guilty in this man. This man is innocent. But He was condemned and put to death for my sins and for yours. God sent His own Son to punish His own Son in your place so that you might be able to have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the divine message of Christmas, that any and all who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, you can receive that gift if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ alone and the, the work He did on the cross alone, God will forgive your sins and set you free from the penalty of hell. And I love the promise of Christ, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. He's never once turned anyone away. And that's the divine message, the good news that the angels told the shepherds. It was a delivered message. I love that the angel delivered the message he was commissioned to give. He showed up with a message from God Himself, and we have a message to deliver also. Acts 1 verse 8 says, Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Read the book of Romans. The book of Romans shows us just how urgent and necessary it is for us to preach the gospel. Romans 10 says, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We love that verse. And immediately he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's to be a delivered message. The very same message that the angels gave to the shepherds. A Savior has been born unto you, Christ Jesus the Lord. We have the same commission today. And notice it's a decisive message. This message required a decision of the shepherds. What were they going to do about this? And it requires a decision of all mankind. John 3.16 encapsulates it all very well. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Has the message of Christmas changed you? It's more than just a tradition or a legend or a story. It's something that changes the heart of all who will receive it. It changes your mindset. It does that through faith in the message. When you know the Christ of Christmas, you can know true merriment as well. It's a good message. It's good news of great joy. Merriment. Great joy. It's immense joy. It's great joy. John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. There's a whole group of Christians this Christmas that need to be reminded that we have great joy as Christians. Great joy. How can you know the true meaning of Christmas? How can you claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? How can you claim those things and be such a sourpuss all the time? It's immense joy. It's great joy. And it's also immutable joy. It's unchanging. It's not dependent on the circumstances or the atmosphere around us. It's immutable joy. Romans 5, 8, and 11 says, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You should have joy that is unspeakable, unchanging, immutable, because it's based in the one who is immutable, Jesus Christ our Lord. I love what R.A. Torrey said. He said, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. And I've tried them both. This should be true in your life. There's more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. And then it's indescribable joy. It's indescribable joy. The world cannot understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's supernatural. It endures through every circumstance of life, whether it be good or bad. 1 Peter 1 says this in verses 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. And whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Even, as Peter writes to the church, even when you're going through difficult and different and heavy trials and temptations, you can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's indescribable joy. 
Christmas really is merry when you know the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not very merry without Him. It's just busy and stressful without Him. You just go into January having more credit card debt than you can handle and hoping that your tax refund pays it off. That's Christmas without Christ. It's miserable. But if you know the Savior, Christmas brings a change in your mindset because of the truth of the message, and it gives you that merriment. And it's multinational. Don't you love just the subtle things that Scripture does? The angel says, which shall be to all people. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. These things are all very obvious, but can I remind you that that means regardless of gender. Regardless of gender, this message is for you. Galatians 3 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That was a very... You know, in that society, women did not have all that women have today. But even then, it was to all people. Ladies, you can be just as close to the Lord as your husband is, as your pastor is, because this message is regardless of gender. It's regardless of ethnicity. I think when we finally get to heaven, it's going to be culture shock for a lot of us. Because Revelation 5 verse 9 says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What an incredible multitude that's going to be to witness one day. Every single people group, tribe, tongue, nation, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's regardless of ethnicity or gender. It's regardless of position. Wherever your position is in life, this message is for you. Colossians 3.11 says there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Slave, master, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Jew, it doesn't matter. It's regardless of position, the gospel is for you. It reaches the lowest of the low. It's regardless of history. No matter what you've been through or what you've done, the message is for you. I love Colossians chapter 2. It says, And you, verse 13, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Everything you've ever done, everything, your whole history, Christ nailed it to his cross. It's regardless of your history. It's for all people. It's for all people. Christmas can bring a change to anyone without exception. And that change comes when you meet the Messiah face to face. The Messiah. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
I love that it's personal. He's born to you. Unto you is born this day. He came for you. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul loves that truth so much, he says, of whom I am chief. He came for you. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. That first Christmas was God's gift to every single one of us. He came for you. It was a personal Messiah. With the Messiah comes propitiation. We talked about this already, but your salvation required a sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so that little baby Jesus was born to be that sacrifice. And 33 years later, he offered his life willingly for you. 1 John 2, 2 says, For He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Romans 5, verses 6-9 through 9 says, When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. He came into this world to take your place on the cross and to die in your place. He's a personal Messiah. He brought propitiation. He's a promised Messiah. When that angel said, Christ... This was a fulfillment of God's promise that a Redeemer would come. A promise that He made the very moment sin entered in the world. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He promised a Redeemer. He promised a Savior that would free the world from sin. Just as was read this morning, Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. Galatians 4 tells us in verses 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This was the promised one, the Savior that would come, and He was also the preeminent one. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's the Lord, and He is Lord. The question is, is He your Lord? Is He your Lord? Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him, that's Jesus Christ, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He is the Lord. He is. Regardless of what anyone else thinks, Christ Jesus is the one and only Lord of all. 
And one day, everyone will confess that. And what should we as Christians do in light of that? It says in verse 13 through 16 of 1 Peter 1, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What effect does Christmas have on you? I love this time of year. I love a season in which we are reminded that God sent His Son into the world to save us of our sins. If you really believe what the Bible says about Christmas, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes your whole mindset. Every day should be affected by the fact that Jesus Christ has come, has died, and has given you the free gift of eternal life. He's risen from the dead, seated on the right hand of His Father, and everything that you face, as we've said before, God has allowed it to come your way. Which means you literally have nothing to fear. What's the worst that could happen? You could die. But for me to... Death is gain. It's gain. Does your life reflect what Christmas really means? Are you gripped by fear? Fear not. Fear not. Have you received the divine message of Christmas? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? In Christ alone, and in, only in His work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you know Him as your Savior? And if you do, are you sharing that same news with others who desperately need to hear it? Do you have great joy? If you're saved, you you should. Do you understand that Christmas is for everyone? No matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, the message of Christmas is for you. And do you know the Messiah, Jesus Christ? He's a personal Savior. How close are you to Him? You are as close to Jesus as you want to be. You are. There is nothing... Nothing keeping you from Christ but yourself. Study the Bible. Study what it says. doesn't matter if you're a pastor, deacon, missionary. doesn't matter. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. You can be as close to God as you desire to be. He's a personal Savior. And He's a preeminent Savior. He's the Lord, whether we treat Him as such or not. And are you listening to Him? Does your life reflect a life that's been changed by the meaning of Christmas? And if the answer is no, or maybe, or I'm not sure, then now's the time to make sure that you know what it means that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let's bow our heads this morning. Piano's going to start to play, and I have no idea how the Spirit might have spoken to you this morning.
but I trust that he has. We want to give you a moment to respond to him in prayer there in your seat. Take this time.